0: I get that turned right side up. Well, we started into something yesterday that I think is truly important, and I don't know that I have all the information on it yet. Uh, I went home last night and looked up some articles that I've received over the last two or three years about the subject of the Jubilee, but today I'd like to go into more the mechanics of it, what it means and how it stabilizes a nation and how it takes care of the financial needs of a people uh, without getting out of hand and with keeping everything under control and preventing poverty uh, to a great extent, even though there can still be some at times, but uh, it's a very important system that God has made. A man often takes 30, 40, 50 percent of our income in direct income tax. And then there are so many hidden taxes that it is incredible. Each gallon of gas has roughly 40 cents per gallon in taxes, just highway taxes. Some states are higher than others, and the federal government gets a big cut out of that. Uh, You're taxed by governments on sales taxes, use taxes, land taxes, you know, you could go on and on with the various kinds of taxes that man imposes upon us, even in addition to a sliding scale of 10 to 50% of our income tax. There are some countries on earth, such as Norway, which has a 90% income tax. And they probably have other taxes as well. How how do you live when you get over 100% tax? (laughs) You know? Israel wanted a king. Now, God had instituted a financial system that would take care of everything in a minimal way. And they insisted on a king. And God said, if you want a king, I'll give you a king. But you know what the first thing he's going to do? He's going to impose taxes upon you. Kings do that. Kings like to go to war, they like to fight, they like to increase their territory, they like to spoil other countries and get their wealth and make them pay tribute to them and raise taxes not only on their own people, but on other peoples that they might conquer. They like to build huge palaces or mansions. They like to travel and they like to party and have fine banquets and so on. It just goes on and on. They have, in our country, they have fundraisers where the Democrats and Republicans will charge maybe a $1,000 a plate for rubber chicken. And people will go and pay it because it is a tax-deductible dinner. You know, it it is interesting about human nature that one way or another, we deal with man's taxes by saying there's only two things that are inexorable, death and taxes. Those two things are going to happen. So we find a way, even though there's a certain resentment there, to deal with government taxes. But the part of human nature that is almost mystifying is that when God says to do something, people tend to resent it even more. Because there is an innate part of human nature the resists God. And it's not in only one area, it's in almost every area of our lives. He has not made a law that is difficult in terms of His overall plan and purpose. He has made a law that is very reasonable and logical and that helps regulate our lives in positive ways that keep us from a lot of hurt and harm and difficulty and help improve relationships with husbands and wives and children and friends and neighbors and relatives and people we work with. If we follow His way of doing those things, our relationships are better. If we follow Satan's or man's or selfish ways, then our relationships deteriorate. But there is a resistance because we want to do it our way, and we are selfish by nature. So when God says something, human nature is to resent it. The mind that is converted or being converted begins to accept God's way and become less resentful and have less animosity toward God. So, degree of conversion or degree of change can be seen in our attitudes about the things God tells us to do and how He wants it done. I wanted to say that before getting into... Some things here, so that we can kind of check our own attitudes because they become difficult at times. I remember when I was out early in the ministry as a elder and local church pastor uh, the, the first years that Pasadena did not tell the ministry you must send 10% of your salary back to us. But they made implications in conferences that if you didn't send about that much back in, you weren't a good minister. Now, they didn't have the local ministry out pastoring churches on high salaries anyway. Those high salaries were for people in Pasadena and Big Sandy and Brickett Wood and places like that. But since they had three ties that most of which you sent in or turned in the excess of the second tithe, they felt that the ministry itself, if they had a good attitude, would send about 30% of their check-in. So it wasn't anything God said to do. It was something that Pasadena sort of leaned on you about. And if you wanted to be looked upon as good or as a proper minister or whatever, then or wanted promoted, whatever your motivations were, then you felt that you had to do that. So it wasn't left to us to decide how much offering above our tithe we sent in. It was a matter of whether you're a good boy or not, and we'll lean on you to be sure you do. Now that that I had to work with my attitude on. Of course I did it because I wanted to be a good boy. But that doesn't mean that I necessarily liked it. So we all have our little attitudes we have to fight We need to understand, however, what God wants, and put Him first, and make sure we take care of those things that are godly, and then deal with man. If we're going to have a bad attitude, why don't we have it toward man rather than God? You know, man can't resurrect us, man can't really bless us, and won't if he could, but God can, and He says He will if we will do things in the manner that He prescribes So it's a matter of adjusting our thinking as to what is right and wrong. Now there's quite a little in here. This really is going to be more of a lesson in economics than it is anything else. And I want to start before getting into the things connected directly with the Jubilee by going to Deuteronomy 15. This does tie in with the Jubilee, it ties in with the seven-year land rest, and more specifically, a year of release, because the seven-year cycle was not just agricultural resting of land. We read about that yesterday in Leviticus 25, 6 and 7, but here in Deuteronomy 15, it says at the end of every seven years, you shall make a release. So, this adds something to that which is done with the land Sabbath. We also have a year of release, and it is concurrent with the land Sabbath, or at the end of that year. Uh, This is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lends anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not exact it of his neighbor or of his brother, because it is called the eternal's release. So whether somebody borrowed something from you when this year comes up 6 years ago or a year ago you are obligated to forgive that debt when the year at the end of the year of release might make you think twice about how much you borrow and I mean loan and when you loan it and uh, what you expect of that person and what they say they will do as opposed to what they might do Of a foreigner, you may exact it again. Somebody outside, let's say, the church. They, they are foreigners in that sense, spiritually speaking today. Or someone out our, outside of our nation on a physical level. Uh, you may exact it again. But that which is, your, is yours with your brother, your, your hand shall release. Except when there shall be no poor among you. Now, there's another scripture that says, there will always be the poor among you. But if we follow God's ways, the incidence of poverty is going to be very, very low. Except when there shall be no poor among you. For the Eternal shall greatly bless you in the land which the Eternal your God gives you, for an inheritance to possess it. Well, God says, if you will follow my ways, there won't be many poor people. And if there are no poor, then... You don't have to follow the year of release. But if there are still poor within the land, this must be done. You know, if a, I guess if a millionaire loans a millionaire some money, for whatever reason he would, I don't know, uh, he might he might could exact it of him. He has plenty. But then would it be wise to loan somebody who had that kind of wealth money? You know, maybe in business. Verse 5, only if you carefully hearken to the voice of the Eternal your God to observe to do all these commandments which I command you this day. For the Eternal your God blesses you as He has promised you. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. Proverbs 22, 7 says the servant is, or the lender The borrower is servant to the lender, excuse me. Borrow is server, servant to the lender. When you owe someone something, you become, in that sense, their servant. You have to pay that back, and it puts a burden upon you. So, as a nation, we are not supposed to borrow from other nations. God made it very clear that Israel could lend, and maybe should lend but they should not borrow. Now, that principle should apply to us as individuals as well. We should come to the point, if we obey God's ways and do the things He says, we should come to the point we no longer need to borrow. But we should be getting ourselves into a position where we could become lenders. Now, that's what God would have of each of us. He would wish that each of us could be in that position to lend to others rather than being in the position where we have to borrow from others. Now, we're in a land that is full of things, and there's plenty of money to buy those things. Part of this is a management situation. That's what it is. A lot of it is management. You know, some people make the same amount of money, some are always in debt, some have money to spare, and they're making the same amount of money. That's management, is what that is. Some people have been taught to manage. Others, by sloppy management by their parents or those around them, have not learned to manage. And it is difficult sometimes to manage. But is it worth the goal? And is it worth getting yourself into a position where you could be a lender instead of a borrower. Now, which of those two, really, do you prefer? I prefer, and I'm happier, when I'm in a position to lend to someone else than I am if I'm just barely getting by and have to go and borrow with the idea of having to pay back. I would rather lend equipment than I had to borrow equipment Because if I borrow something and I break it, then I've got to buy one or fix that one for them and then finally wind up going and buying one for myself anyway, usually. So, life is better and life is easier when you have managed carefully and come to the point that you are in a positive lending position. It's just a better place to be. Now, in our society, we've gone up and down and around and back and forth, and we've gotten through bad management or bad deals or bad judgment or whatever into bad financial situations. We may have gone bankrupt a time or two or three. Uh, we may owe on this credit card, that credit card, this car, that car in the house. You know, on and on it goes. And it's because we haven't managed properly didn't have the knowledge or the control of ourselves to do so, Uh, and sometimes we've just simply given in to our human nature and put ourselves first, sometimes, you know, there can be a lot of factors involved, but whatever the factors that were involved in your situation that got you where you have been, and I hope are getting out of it, it takes time to work ourselves out even though we have begun to manage properly, perhaps. So I'm not making an indictment or, or getting on anyone because they're in debt. All I'm saying here is this is God's wish and this is God's purpose that we work ourselves into this position. It's a more comfortable way to live. And not only that, we're able to then to be in a position to help others rather than be helped all the time. then it goes on to talk about the poor and how they don't cease out of the land in verse 11, but to put yourself in a position where you can help when there is a need. That's where God would like us to be. Now, that is a part of the seven-year cycle, is to release debt. And that helps remove the problems, doesn't it? Now, in our society today, they'll give you a 30-year mortgage, 40 year mortgage, they're even now beginning to introduce 50 year mortgages. With a 30 year mortgage at around 8, 9, 10 percent, I don't know exactly where it is, you pay for a house two and one half times by the time you get it paid off. Once paying for the house and another one and a half times in mortgage payments, or in interest payments. Now, if you go to a 40 or 50 year mortgage, You're going to be paying for that house three to five times by the time you get it paid off. Now, is that a ball and chain or what? You spend money on credit cards. Maybe you get an introductory rate at 2% or 3%. They're sending those to us by the thousands, millions every day. And to me, two or three or four times a week. And then in six months, it goes up to 12 or 13 percent. And if you miss a payment or late on a payment, then it goes to 25 to 30 percent. And you can spend years getting a credit card debt paid off. Some of you painfully understand that. But it's so easy to get what you want when you want it by throwing that plastic out. This world has made it so easy to be just the opposite of what God would have us be and what, and what we would really, and you know, probably inside prefer to be. Wouldn't everybody prefer to have wealth rather than borrowing money and then paying that interest every month? Every month. Well, we may not have fancy houses out on our own place now, but I don't think there's anybody there that has a mortgage. Maybe living in a 20, 30-year-old mobile home, kind of fixed up, and some have done a wonderful job of fixing them up, but I don't believe anybody has a mortgage. The only mortgage we have is to an individual, not a bank, thankfully, on the land, and we pay a nominal amount, each of us, per month to make that payment. And uh, I think that's pretty good. You don't have a house payment, no interest to pay on it, and $75 to pay for the land that the house is sitting on, and that's pretty cheap these days, isn't it? We're trying to get in the position that God would want us to be in as individuals and as a community. And I think he opened the way that we can, in large part, accomplish this. Well, maybe there isn't enough time left for you to get completely out of debt, but we should be staying out as best we can, and we should be working toward getting out so that we are in the position that Deuteronomy 15 talks about. Now, he has a plan, and it is tied up with the year of release and the seven years and the Jubilee. Now, there is a system, and I'm going to introduce that now. We've, I've given sermons on it, but I want to, to approach this a little bit differently so that we might understand why God has us do what God has us do and what the benefits are and how it actually regulates the entire society and makes it profitable and wealthy, as opposed to what we have in our country today. In Genesis 14, we find something that was introduced probably from the, actually the very beginning, but which Abraham recognized, Genesis 14 and verse 20. Now here is a situation where uh, Abraham had been at war and he had gone at war, I think in this case, to, uh, to retrieve some goods, if, I, if I'm looking at the right story. Uh, and he was going to return those goods to the former owner. He didn't want them himself. But since they had been taken from that owner, uh, I don't, I'm not sure this is the same story. I, I think it is. The principle's the same anyway. Uh, he was going to give 10% of that to God. Verse 20, And blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him tithes of all. There are those who say tithes are only on agriculture, and yet here, before the tithing laws were codified or expanded or written down, here was Abraham tithing on the spoil of war, which was not agricultural by any means. And he understood that he was to give a tithe, that is, 10%. How did he know it was to be that? Probably Enoch understood it. I'm sure Noah understood it. And Abraham apparently uh, overlapped Shem in his lifetime, and it had probably been passed down through Noah and Shem, that we tithe to God and we give him 10% of all, whether it be the spoils of war or of agriculture or of the work of our hand in other ways or the work of our mind, whatever it might be, that is what we give. It is introduced back in Genesis 14. Abraham understood how much and he understood on what basis, not just agricultural. Uh, That is from the beginning. It apparently has to do with God's original intent. And certainly Abraham became the father of the faithful. Now we go to Genesis 28, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I I wanted to review this much. Genesis 28, verse 22. You remember the story where Jacob uh, wrestled with Christ, and he had to dream about the ladder and so on. But Jacob was being converted. Now, he had not necessarily been converted early in his life, but he was being converted. He was having to deal directly with Christ. Notice verse 22. He made a covenant with God, vowed a vow, verse 22. And he said in verse 20, and in verse 22 he said, And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you shall give me, I will surely give you the tenth to you. See, this was something that was relationship building and covenant building between God and man that if God gives us everything we have and he owns the earth, he owns the gold the silver, the land, everything is his he says, and he gives us of that through the work of our hand or however it might come to us, he gives that to us and He expects us then to give him 10% back. That way, we respect and honor him. It puts us in a position of understanding where our sustenance comes from because we're willing to give back to he who gave all to us. See how that works to build a relationship? It shows a thankfulness. It shows an attitude of reverence and worship. It shows an attitude of giving back to the source of whence we receive all. Creation, the breath of life, food, water, shelter, clothes, everything we have to sustain us comes from God. And if we give 10% back, it helps keep us in recognition of that. So that is the first key to spiritual proper management, as ordained by God, as followed by Abraham and Jacob before it was ever all written down in the law of Moses. It existed. Probably through oral, uh, perhaps some of it written, I don't know. All right, I want to read a section here, just a comment in prudence concordance to you. And then we'll go to some Scriptures, and I'll show you with explanation why God did the tithing system the way He did, and what it did for society. Crudence, maybe I should call it crudence, because it's, uh, I'm reading it to the weak and the base, and the crud of the earth, I don't know. But uh, they call it crudence. And I'm part of that, too, you know. Uh, the practice of paying tithes is very ancient, for we find Genesis fourteen 20, twenty that Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek, king of Salem, at his return from his expedition against uh and the four kings in confederacy with him. Abraham gave him the tithe of all the booty taken from the enemy. Jacob imitated this piety of his grandfather when he vowed to the eternal the tithe of all the substance he might acquire in Mesopotamia. Uh, under the law, Moses ordained Leviticus 27, it gives those. All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the eternal's. It is holy to the eternal. There were three sorts of tithes to be paid from the people, besides those from the Levites to the priests. Um, Let's see. One, to the Levites for their maintenance, gives the Scriptures. Number two, for the eternal's feasts and sacrifices to be eaten in the place which the eternal should choose to put his name there. Uh, to wit, where the ark should be, the tabernacle or temple. This tenth part was either sent to Jerusalem in kind, or it was too far. If it was too far, they sent the value in money, which was to be laid out for oxen, sheep, wine, or what else they pleased. This isn't exactly the way it was done. We'll see in the scripture in a moment. Uh, You didn't send that tithe in. You took it with you. And you turned it into money if it was too far. And three, besides these two, there was to be every third year, a tithe for the poor to be eaten in their own dwellings. So that's what he says about the way it was done. Now let's go to the Scriptures themselves and see see why it was done that way. What value did it have? And, you know, people say, well, those people pay third tithe, or three tithes. They have to give three tithes. No, we don't. The Bible does not say that. Now, it does talk about saving three of them, but it doesn't talk about giving three of them. We'll see that. All right. Uh, let's go to Leviticus 27. Leviticus 27 and verse 30. Leviticus 27:30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree is the Eternals, it is holy to the Eternal. So a tithe, tithe means 10%. So here it's speaking of a tithe, and it says all the tithe is the Eternals. And all the tithe, let's see, and if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add therefore thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock, even if whatsoever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy to the Eternal. He shall not search whether it be good or bad, neither shall he change it. And if he change it at all, then both it and the chains thereof shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. In other words, if you grew X number of peaches and you wanted to keep those peaches rather than... uh, you wanted to, let's say, keep them for your canning or whatever you had to take the value of those, add 20% to that, and give that to God. Or, yeah, that was if you were redeeming it. But you couldn't do that with the animals. Every tenth one that passed under the rod, that belonged to God. If you didn't have ten, that means you were a small rancher, and you didn't have that many animals, then you didn't have an animal to give. But if the tenth one went under, that one was God's. We, I think, have misused that well. We said, well, the first tenth's God's. Not when it comes to animals, he said the tenth one is mine. If you only have nine that pass under the rod, God doesn't get one that year. Maybe next year your flock will be bigger, and then God will get his tenth, and then he'll get the twentieth one, and he'll get the thirtieth one, how many, ever, how many ever you have. That's the way he set it up. See, that begins right there to help the poor. Because of a small flock, you don't even have ten. Now, that's God's rule on that. Now, let's go to Numbers 18. We're dealing here with God's tithe in that first scripture there in Leviticus 26, and now in Numbers 18, the same. The Eternal said to Aaron, You and your sons in your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. Sometimes it's a heavy burden to bear, but you have to bear it. And your brethren also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of, the father, of your father, bring you with you, that they may join to you in the ministry to you. Um, and they'll keep charge of the tabernacle, the vessels of the altar, and keep charge of the, of the congregation and the service of the tabernacle. Verse 4. Uh, verse 6. And I, and I, behold, I have taken your brethren the Levites from among the children of Israel. To you they are given as a gift for the eternal to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So God set aside a Levitical priesthood and ministry to take care of the spiritual needs. Uh, Verse 8, The eternal spoke to Aaron, Behold, I also have given you the charge of my heave offerings of all the hallowed things of the children of Israel. To you have I given them by reason of the anointing, and to your sons by an ordinance forever." So that was given verse twelve all the best of the oil, all the best of the wine, of the wheat, the first fruits of them which they shall offer unto the eternal, them have I given you. So he said, The tithe, the offerings, whatever that God that the people give to God, God in turn gives to the Levite. So you don't give the ministry anything, you give it to God. And then God in turn says that portion of that is mine I give to the levite that he may take care of the spiritual needs of the people and whatsoever is first ripe in the land which they shall bring to the eternal shall be yours everyone that is clean in your house shall eat of it and so on verse 19 all the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of israel offer to you or to the eternal have i given you and your sons and your daughters with you by statute forever it is a covenant of salt forever between the eternal to you and to your seed with you. And the eternal spoke to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any part among them. I am your part and your inheritance among the children of Israel. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance, for their service, which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So he's talking about God's tenth here, And he says, I have given all that to the Levite. Now, there's some people who say, well, there's only one tithe total. And we take it to the feast. And there we give some to the Levite. We eat some of it ourselves. We give some to the poor and so on. No, that doesn't work. Because God says, you give that to me. And I have given all the tenth to the Levite. So if it is all given to the Levite, how are you going to eat of it at the feast? If it is all given to the Levite, how are you going to give it to the widow? You can't, because it's all been given. Let's see, verse 24, The tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering to the Eternal, I have given to the Levites, he emphasizes it, to inherit Therefore I have said to them, Among the children of Israel I shall have no inheritance, because the tithe to God, the entire tenth, is given to the Levites for their inheritance forever. Thus speak to the Levites, verse 26, and say to them, When you take of the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it for the eternal, even the tenth part, and they were to give that to the high priest. What I want to establish here is that God, God's tent, His tithe, was to be given to the Levites, and that that was to be forever. Okay, there's nothing else that can be done with that, right? That's just that's what it says. So we called it first tithe, second tithe, third tithe, just. To delineate, the Bible does not do that. My mouth is dry. But it's really God's tithe. And all of that is to be given by God to the Levite. So you give it to God, and he in turn gives it to the Levite. The Levite in turn gives a tenth to the high priest. So the first tithe is something that you give away. You give it to God. It is God's tithe. Now let's see for a moment if that carries through to the New Testament, because there's another place that people will balk. What did Christ say in Matthew 23:23 to the Pharisees? He said, you should tie the mint, cumin, and anise, but don't forget the weightier matters of the law, they're even more important, but you should be doing that. Of course, people will say, well, that was just to the Pharisees, and so therefore it didn't have to do with the church. Notice 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? So he's defending his position here. Uh, and he says he has power to eat and drink, verse 4, and even to carry, to lead about a wife as the other apostles did. Uh, verse 6, he starts talking about money. For only, in Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working. They didn't have to work for a living. And then he explains, Who goes a warfare any time at his own charges? When the United States Army wants soldiers to go to Iraq, but they tell them, Save up your money, boys, we're going to fight Iraq, and uh, you're going to have to finance your passage over there, you'll have to pay for your food while you're there, and your ammunition... No, it's not the way war is fought. The king wants you to fight. He provides what you need to fight with. Who plants a vineyard and eats not of the fruit thereof? The church is a vineyard. The ministry is to care for that vineyard. And they are to eat of the fruit thereof. Or who feeds a flock and eats not of the milk of the flock? Do you milk a cow? Don't you drink the milk? Yes, you do. Say I these things as a man... Paul's saying, is this just my opinion? Or says not the law the same also? He's got to be referring to the Old Testament law, and he is using it in context with the New Testament church. He's using it as an example to the Corinthians. What does the law say, he says? He says, I'm not saying this of myself as a man. What does the law say? Verse 9, It is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the corn. Does God take care for oxen? Or says He all, it altogether, For our sakes? Because he says it's not about oxen, really. Yes, that is there, but it's written there for our sakes. No doubt, this is written. That he that plows should plow in hope and he that threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we, the ministry, the apostles, have sown to you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your physical things? He says, is that a great leap in understanding there? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we, rather? Now, there are others tax collectors, different ones who have power to tax us to take our money. And he says, well, if others be partakers of this power, how about us? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. He says, we have the power. How did they get the power? Where did it come from? Well, he's quoting it from the Old Testament Scriptures. So, in Paul's mind... Those Old Testament Scriptures still applied to the New Testament ministry, whether they were in the Levitical priesthood or not. Hebrews 7 says the same thing. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so, has the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. He quotes Luke ten seven, uh, where he told them to go out and dwell with others when they were preaching and live off them while they were there preaching. Christ instructed them to do that, that they were to live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things. He made tents and so on, did other things sometimes to take that away especially with new people like the Corinthian church and all those he was raising up around uh, Asia, he did not immediately tell them, you have to do this, this, and this financially. He says, in some cases, man, if I can just get them from eating things strangled and and uh, not eat blood, I've accomplished quite a bit. You no, know, he's dealing with Gentiles that had to be brought out of that paganism, and it took a time. But we're pretty seasoned here now. We've been in the church 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, haven't we? We shouldn't be like a new Galatian church or a new Corinthian church. We should understand by now. Should we not go on with meat rather than having to go back and take milk? He goes down to say, verse 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is me, if I preach not the gospel." Verse 18, what is my reward then? Truly, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. So he had power. That power didn't come from Paul saying, well, I think I'd like to collect money. Because he wasn't collecting money from these people for the sake of them, in their early stages of conversion, learning right principles. And you introduce some this visit, some next visit, some this letter, some next letter, until they get the whole picture. You have to live by every word of God. But you've got to start out with what? The Sabbath, the holy days? You have to start somewhere. Who is the United States? You know, that's the way a lot of us started out, U.S. and B.C. and prophecy, to begin to learn. And we built upon that and built upon that until some point, at some point we should have the whole picture. There's a lot that still needs to be restored. A lot that people are not willing to look at. So he had power. And that power had to have been given by Scripture. By God. And he says, the eternal has ordained that those who minister should live off that. So it's echoing what we just read in Numbers 18. First Timothy 5. Verse Verse 16. He's talking here about taking care of those who have need. He's talking about widows earlier in this chapter. Uh, Verse 16, if any man or woman that believes have widows, let them relieve them. If you have widows in your family, you should relieve them. Uh, And let not the church be charged. Now that is a financial thing that he's talking about there that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. It says don't charge the church if you have widows in your own home because they need to take care of those who don't have a family to take care of them. Doesn't that make sense? Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And people say, well, that's respect. That isn't money. Now, the whole subject here is financial care. That's what the whole subject is about. Are you going to take that out of context and say, well, that's just talking about respect. Give us a break. Especially they who labor in the word and doctrine, for the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Now, he was clearly talking about money back in 1 Corinthians, we just read, and used the same example, didn't he? So he's using it here, talking about the same thing. Now, in some ways, I'm preaching to the choir here. Most of you agree all the way on what we're saying anyway, and this is a review, and I hope you don't, aren't bored with it, because I'm going to get into some explanation here of why these things are the way that they are, and what it does for us. Now, as a physical nation, God's tithe was for government. That's what it was for. The Levitical priesthood governed the nation. You did not need a president. You did not need a king. You did not need a civil government in that sense because you had the ministry there to run things. The Levitical priesthood. So, the total cost of government was 10%. Now, compared to the United States government... Man, that is a bargain, isn't it? Stop and think about that. No inheritance tax, no uh, fuel tax, no tax for this or for that or for anything else. The government was to be run on 10%. The church government should be run on 10%. And in the millennium, when the church is in charge again, It will be run on 10%. That's all. Nothing more. That is God's way. You give back to Him, and He gives to those He has put in charge to govern, that 10%, and that's the total cost of government. It is a set percentage. And that's all it will ever be. To me, if we were following God's system completely, that would be absolutely beautiful. Now let's go to the festival in particular um, Deuteronomy 12 Deuteronomy 12 And here I want to start down in verse 5 But to the place which is eternal your your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even to his habitation shall you seek, and there you shall come, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and heave offerings of your hand and your vows and your freewill offerings and the firstlings of your herds and of your flock. So it includes both tithes and freewill offerings here, not, not one or the other, but both. And there you shall eat before the eternal your God, and you shall rejoice in all that you put your hand to, you and your households, wherein the eternal your God has blessed you. Now, this cannot be talking about God's tithe, can it? Because you gave all that tithe to the ministry. Or you get no, you didn't. You gave it to God, and he in turn gave it to the ministry. Let's get this straight. Now this tithe here it says you shall eat. Well how can you eat that which you have already given to God? Can't do it. He turned it over to the ministry. You don't have it anymore. Been given to God. So this has to be a different tithe, a different free will offering that you put in your hand and you take to the place God has chosen. I believe he's chosen Zion right here for us to come to keep the feast. For you are not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance which eternal your God gives you. He said you haven't entered into the land yet, but you take that tithe, you go where God has put his name, and you eat it there. But when you go over Jordan, verse 10, and dwell in the land which eternal your God gives you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies... Round about, so that you dwell in safety. See, part of the promise here is rest. Then there shall be a place which the eternal your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. There shall you bring all that I command you your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the Hebrew offering of your hand, and all your choice vows which vow, you vow to the eternal. And you shall rejoice before the eternal your God you and your sons, your daughters, your men servants, your maid servants and the Levite that is within your gates, for as much as he has no part nor inheritance with you. Now, you gave 10% to God, and it said all of that, didn't it? And he, in turn, gave all of that to the Levites and told them what to do with it. Now he's talking about a second or a festival tithe. You are to gather that up. You are to take it where God places his name. And you are to enjoy it, and you are to take care of the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, and the Levite. Make sure all those categories of people enjoy the second or the festival tithe. So, one, you gave to God. This one, you gather up and take it where God says to take it. Verse 15, notwithstanding, you may kill and eat flesh in all your gates, whatsoever your soul desires, according to the blessing of the eternal God which he has given you. Uh, The unclean and the clean may eat thereof, as of the roebuck in the heart, so it's okay to hunt. Only you shall not eat the blood, you shall pour it upon the earth as water. If you kill a deer, uh, you're to pour the blood on the ground as water. You may not eat within your gates the tithe of your corn or of your wine or of your oil or the firstlings of your herds or of your flock, nor any of the vows which you vow, and so on. But you must eat them before the eternal your God, in the place which eternal your God shall choose. And it gives the categories again. Take heed, verse 19, to yourself, that you forsake not the Levite as long as you live upon the earth. Then it says in verse 21, if the place which eternal your God has chosen to put his name be too far from you, then you shall kill of your herd and your flock which eternal has commanded you, as I have commanded you, and you shall eat in your gates whatsoever your soul desires. There is the only uh, opportunity, or not that's not an opportunity, but the only exception to going up to the feast is if the way be too far and you simply cannot afford it, you're too poor, then you can eat of the festival tithe in your own home during the feast. We have people out on the telephone today who are in that category, either by reason of health or reason of distance and cost, simply cannot do it. So God says you may eat of the festival tide in your own home under those circumstances. Then you have to make wise and proper decisions as to whether the way is too far or your health or whatever, and we have to have wisdom and understanding in those things. So God does make an exception for those who might be in dire straits of one kind or another. Now let's go to Deuteronomy 14, and this will become even clearer. Uh, Deuteronomy 14. Here let's begin in verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your seed that the field brings forth year by year. So this is a year by year thing. This isn't a once in a while or or every third year or whatever. The tithe is talking about that we're talking about right here, is a year-by-year year tithe. And you shall eat before the eternal your God in the place which He shall choose to place His name there, the tithe. And the purpose is that you may learn to fear the eternal your God always. Then it also gives the uh, exception. and says if it's too far and you can't herd your flocks that far, they won't put them on the airplane, then turn it into money and take it with you. And Then spend it on the things which God says. Verse 26 says what to do with it. You shall bestow that money for whatsoever your soul desires. Oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, or whatsoever your soul desires. And you shall eat there before the eternal your God. And you shall rejoice you and your household. And the Levite that is within your gates, you shall not forsake him, for he has no partner inheritance with you. So... This is a festival tithe we take where God places his name. And we he shows the use of that is to be for you and your household to rejoice, and to be sure that you take care of others who might have need because they don't have partner inheritance with you. So you have to take all that tithe for that. God's tithe is already gone, been given to the Levites for their inheritance. All of it, it said, not part of it. But all of it. Now you have one here where it is a tithe, which is a 10%. It's not three and a third divided three ways. It is a tithe. Tithe means 10%. And you are to bestow that money, that 10%, for a paid vacation. You don't give this to anybody. You keep it so that you and your family might rejoice. Everyone would like a guaranteed vacation every year, right? God, by His system, guarantees that if you will follow His ways and put aside that festival tithe, that you will be able to go, afford to go to the feast. You will be able to rejoice there. You will be able to eat plenty there because the feast pictures what? God's plan. It pictures the Feast of Tabernacles, the millennium. It pictures a time when there will be plenty for everyone. And he wants us to come to the feast with plenty so that whatever we want, you know, most of the time you can't afford everything you want all through the year, can you? If you wanted a ribeye steak every night through the year, most of you and I could not afford that. I'd be broke. But if you want one every night at the feast, you should have saved that festival tithe, and you should be able to have that every night, no matter what size you come to be during the feast. I mean, you know, there is wisdom. But what I'm saying is there should be plenty there. Now, some people through the years have not been willing to do this. They don't have the control or the management ability, perhaps, or whatever the excuse might be to do so, so they grab their last check and head off to the feast hoping they have enough for the room, and food. That is not complying with God's law. God wants you to have plenty when you're here, not just hope you barely make it there, or to have to put it on your credit cards to do it. It's Not what He intended at all. He intended that we save it, that we not touch it. It is set aside, ordained by God for a specific purpose and is not to be used for anything else. People have sometimes borrowed of their second tithe during the year or their festival tithe because they were having trouble financially. No, God says set it aside. We're to be lenders, not borrowers, and we need to manage better or do something different if we're having trouble accomplishing this. Okay, now, is this offerings? Notice uh, Deuteronomy 16 and verse 16. Three times in a year shall all your males appear, three seasons, it's for all the holy days, uh, before the eternal your God in the place which he shall choose in the feast of unleavened bread, feast of weeks, and in the feast of tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the eternal empty. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the eternal your God which he has given you. This is a free will offering that is based on what you can give according to what God has blessed you with. And you are to prepare an offering before God to bring to Him during those seasons. This is something that comes not from command, but from the heart. The command is to keep the festival tithe, to take care of yourself at the feast. Notice Exodus 23. Uh, verse fourteen, Exodus twenty three, fourteen. Three times shall you keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, uh, and none shall appear before me empty in the verse fifteen. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when you have gathered in your labors out of your field. So it's not just in the fall, not just at the end of harvest, but he makes clear that it's in the spring as well, an unleavened bread, not to come before him empty, specifically, end of verse 15. Uh, three times, verse 17, in the year, all your males shall appear before the eternal your God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain till the morning. The first of the firstfruits of your land shall you bring into the house of the eternal your God, and so on. So, it's clear we're to come before God, we're to have an offering. doesn't mention tithe, It's an offering. So, one, you give all to God, a tithe, all of it, and he gives it to the ministry. Then you have one which you have set aside as a festival tithe to take and enjoy at the feast. Now let's go back to Deuteronomy 14. And now I want to go down to verse 28. Deuteronomy 14:28. At the end of three years you shall bring forth all the tithe of your increase the same year and shall lay it up within your gates. Now we've already seen that he said that we are to take all the festival tithe, which is to take all of God's tithe and do certain things with it. Now he's talking something entirely different. Didn't, don't, didn't it say year by year on the festival tithe? It said year by year. We already read that. Now, here's something that has to be different because it says at the end of three years you shall bring forth all the tithe of your increase the same year and shall lay it up within your gates. Now, God's tithe you gave to Him and He gave it to the Levites. Festival tithe you kept saved and spent at the festival where God said to go. Now, here is a tithe which you keep within your gates. You don't give it to anyone initially. You don't take it to the festival. You keep it within your gates. So by use we see and what, where we take it, what we do with it, that it has to be different. And it is also a tithe. And the Levite, because he has no partner inheritance with you, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow, which are within your gates, shall come and shall eat and be satisfied, that the eternal your God may bless you and all the work of your hand which you do. So, what you do with it, keep it within your gates, is different, and who you give it to is different. This is for the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. It's not something you enjoy or rejoice in. It's something you give to them. And it is within your gates. So this is a poor tithe or a needy tithe or a widow's tithe. It's a third tithe. And it is a full tithe. But it is to be kept only that third year. The way it was done was on the third and the sixth year, every three years. And then you had the sabbatical year and the year of release, the seventh year. So you didn't do it, didn't count that. Got a, a break there in the seventh year. It's kept on the third and the sixth year. Every three years, it's done. That's what it says right here. The end of three years, you'll bring that tithe in. So here you have a system that is set up to stabilize the country. 10% goes to the government. Ten percent is your vacation fund, so that you have a vacation every year, and God wants to be sure you have plenty to come and worship Him and absolutely rejoice in it. Don't give it to anybody, you keep it. I think administratively, if you accomplish that, there's no need for you to give it to the church. You see, the church, in years past, had said, well, now, if you have any excess second tithe, you've got to turn it in. Where do we read that in here? We don't. If you take care of the widow, the stranger, the fatherless, the orphan, the Levite, and so on, make sure they get fed at the feast, then when the feast is over and your family has rejoiced, taking care of all your bills during all the feasts of God, then if there's some left over, you have every right to put it in your pocket after you have obeyed God. Now, some people would say, oh, I can keep what I don't spend at the feast, so I'm going to eat peanuts. (laughs) That's the wrong attitude. That's not obeying what God said to do. Peanuts are getting expensive. What is cheap? Wrong attitude. No, we're here to rejoice and to spend that and enjoy it And not have any guilty conscience and not be thinking in the back of our mind, oh man, how am I going to pay this credit card back? You know, and you might make a big show of eating steaks, how are you going to pay the credit card back? No. If you save it ahead of time, you don't have to worry about that. It's free and clear money. Enjoy it. Love it. Live it up. And be thankful. Thankful that you can come and rejoice before God, you and your family, and have plenty during that time, and picture the millennium of God when everybody will have plenty. That's what it's all about. So, you give God 10% for government. You have 10% to have three vacations a year. And that's more than most Americans get, isn't it? And then you have a third, which you keep on the third and the sixth year, to make sure that there's no poverty in the land, that everyone is taken care of. Now, in the past, the way the church has administered this, not keeping the third and the sixth year as a body, and the release year as a body, and the jubilee as a body. Based on your time of your baptism, which feast was the nearest, you kept the third tithe every third year, and everybody did it independently of each other. So what did we have? We had money coming into the church from third tithe because they asked you to send it there rather than keep it within your gates. And they always had a fund there to take care of the widow and the orphan and the jet airplanes. I think that was a misuse. That's not what God said to do with it. He didn't say give it to the Levite. He said, keep it within your gates and take care of those who have need, and gives the categories. Now, if we all do this together, and we're keeping the year of release together, as Israel was supposed to do, we're keeping the third and the sixth years together of the third tide of the, the needy tide, whatever you want to call it, then what does that do? It creates a situation where you have to learn proper management, where you have to control yourself, because there is one scripture that says you're not to dip into it. I, I don't know whether, I think I wrote that down, maybe we'll get to it. But, if you save it in the third and the sixth year, what happens during the first, the second, the fourth, and the fifth, and the seventh year? See, before, we just take our third tithe, when we earned it, send it in. Then it was Pasadena's problem. No, if we do it the way the Scripture actually says, it's still our problem. We have to keep it within our gates and be sure it's there. We have to properly manage it to be sure. See, God isn't going to have that many poor in the nation if we're doing things right. But they may be poor in the second and the third year, or the first, the second year, and the fourth and the fifth year. So you have to manage it properly within your gates. A special account, special bank account, different mattress or however you do it to be sure that that money is there when somebody needs it no matter what year comes. But we don't need enough of the poor tithe to justify all of us having to keep it every year. He figured that if we kept it every third and sixth year out of seven, that there would be enough there to take care of the poor and the needy and the widow throughout the whole seven-year cycle. So it becomes in your responsibility to be sure that you manage it properly to take care of whoever might need taken care of during that entire seven-year cycle. And we all do it at the same time, so therefore we have to be aware of who the widow and the poor and the needy and the orphan are. We have to keep ourselves apprised of where it might be needed and how much and manage it wisely so that we don't just give it all in the third year and not have any left for the fourth and the fifth year. And if there's somebody has bigger need than maybe you can take care of and still properly manage and keep some for those other years, then maybe we have to use wisdom and understanding and go to some of our brothers and say, hey, uh, this is the fifth year and I don't have enough third tithe to care of this problem. Can you donate some? Can so-and-so donate some? And maybe together we'll have enough of it to take care of the problem. Some cases, maybe you need to go to the the ministry and say, "Uh, where are the needs? I mean, you've got to find out some way. And sometimes things are not as they appear. Sometimes people have more than they let on. Sometimes they cover their poverty and have less than they let on. And somehow we have to become understanding and discerning and managing properly to be sure that it goes where it should go. You see, God wants us as individuals to grow. He wants us to learn to manage. He doesn't want the church, government, Big Brother, whatever, to do it all for us. He wants us to learn. So he's laid this on us. You keep it in your gates, and you take care of those who have need. All right. God and his government are taken care of. Three paid vacations a year are taken care of. The poor, the needy, the widow are taken care of. We don't need welfare. We don't need Social Security We don't need any of these things that our government has done in lieu of doing what God says. We don't need mortgages. We don't have to worry about debt carrying on, getting bigger and bigger and bigger for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years because there's a year of release every seven years. And then after seven times seven years, all land is released back to the original family. And therefore, any who have misused or abused or wasted what they had their family gets it back. So this stabilizes the whole nation, the whole group. Now, God has called us out of this world. We're not completely out yet. We still, some of us have to work out there in it. I hope that if we get everything instituted the way it ought to be, that eventually we will be able to turn loose completely of that world. I'm not saying we need to do it right now. But God will make it possible so that we can do that And each of us will have our own vine and fig tree. Each of us will be able to sustain himself and he will be able to do all these things God says and do it in the time order that he says to do it. Now the church has done it in a haphazard fashion in the past. But I think it's time we consider doing it the way God said and keeping the system that he ordained for Israel. And as a physical community now, why can't we coordinate the third tide years, keep the same year of release, and do it the way God said to do it, rather than just sort of doing it haphazardly based on conversion date. I mean, that, I guess, was okay to get by, but God took it pretty seriously, didn't we see there in Jeremiah 34? when they said, all right, we'll, release, we'll give the release, we'll do the jubilee. And then he said, oh no, I have, we can't do that. He sent them into captivity. And he says in Malachi 3, which we closed with yesterday, that if we don't take care of these things, and the context there does indicate more than just the tithe to God, but it talks about tithes and offerings, and it's talking and referring back to this system that God instituted. He says, if you don't do that, I will send you into captivity. And if you will do it, I will bless you. And he attaches healings and all kinds of things to it, doesn't he? Oh, we want healings. We want help. We want blessings. And maybe, maybe we're coming on some of the keys to that that if we will do it the way God set it up in the first place, then those blessings will begin to come. So I think we need to seriously consider this. If you've got any reason why you think this is invalid, then bring it to me. I'll look at it, but I think it's something we need to consider very seriously. I'm out of time now almost, and I don't want to get into it today, but I'm doing some studying on when the Jubilee should be. And I think I can lay out some information for you maybe Tuesday on uh, when that Jubilee year might be and where we are in the cycle on it right now and what we might need to do in order to get ourselves in line with it. So I've laid the system out for you of what God has for the entire financial planning for a nation and shown that that is biblical and that the different uses are there for different purposes. Now, when would we do it? How would we go about it? Those are questions we can look at. But I wanted to lay it out in front of you. And if you can see these things in the Scriptures and in those New Testament Scriptures we went through as well yesterday, as well as Malachi, which is a prophecy for now, uh, if you can see any objection to that or find some Scripture that says that's wrong, I want to hear it. Now, if there isn't any then we should proceed with figuring out how to go about this and how, how we should coordinate what God says we should do and when we should do it. So we'll get to that a little later, uh, but I thought that this part is very clear and we could go through it and then deal with the other on another day.